Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and this is a brand new class. Class I don't think I've ever taught before. It is why work with house flippers. This is for the servingrealestateinvestors.com, Substack, podcast, video, webinar, whatever we're doing here. Um, this is really about who are house flippers and why should we as real estate professionals, real estate agents primarily, although I'll probably maybe touch on lenders and other people wanting to serve real estate investors because that's really what this is about. But like, why would we want to work with house flippers? I, uh, I think back to uh, when I've been married going on 28 years and uh, it'll be 28 years this next month. And um, when my sister first met my wife, she's like, why would you, why would you like my brother? <laughs> why would you like my brother? Uh, why would you work with house flippers? So, so anyway, let's go into this. So, so what's a flipper or a fix and flip investor? Like, what are they? So they typically, and there's probably a little variation here and stuff though, but they, they primarily buy properties, usually at a large discount. Although there are versions where they buy properties like full retail because they see a significantly higher value version of the property than what is currently being offered. And they know that they can still make money even if they pay you know, full price. But a lot of flippers believe, um, and a lot of fix and flip people believe, and I think the data would also suggest this is true, but they usually buy properties, usually at a large, dis large discount, they fix them up and then they usually resell them. There's variations on this where they fix them up and they keep them, you know, like the Burr strategy as an example, or they buy a property that needs, you know, a little bit of work, they get a little bit of discount. Maybe they're not doing like a full-on Burr where they're trying to pull out all or the overwhelming majority of their money, but they're sort of holding them. But that's not really what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about primarily flippers who are buying properties, fixing them up, and then reselling them. And so a little bit of background, my father was primarily a flipper. He, uh, he did more of a he would flip for income and then he would buy properties, move into them, buy properties that need a lot of work, move into them, do live-in flips, but not do the flip part always. He'd sometimes move in, live in the property, fix it up, and then he would keep it. He'd then put in you know, a long-term financing, more like a burst strategy, but he'd do like live-in versions of that. Um, so that was a variation. Uh, but then he would also, you know, for like income, to kind of uh, support himself while he was doing this, he would occasionally flip one. I, I don't know what his exact ratio is. I probably should ask him. Um, but I think it was probably more like, you know, one flip a year, one keep a year. One flip a year, one keep a year. I don't know, maybe it was two and one, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. But he wasn't doing a huge volume. He was doing this like when he was quasi-retired. So anyway, that, I, I digress. So, so what's a flipper? Some markets are flush with these fix and flip opportunities where there's a large, very active flipping community. And then there are other markets where they are extremely limited and almost non-existent. And um, there, it reminds me of a story. Um, I actually, I don't know if I have permission to tell the story. So I'm not going to tell the story. Um, but there are markets where it is really, really difficult to do fix and flip opportunities. And uh, they are much harder to find. In some markets, though, this is very active market. There's a lot of them. You could really cater to these guys at scale. Um, I do think even in markets that are limited, you can cater to folks and do these. I just don't think you need to have a 
whole portfolio of fix and flip investors that you're trying to serve. You know, if you're in a market where it's really, really hard to find them, I think having one or two or maybe three like guys that will take down anything, they're really, really hungry. Having those as clients could be a good uh, add to your kind of like client base, but um, it would be hard for you to try to get like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 of these guys and do any type of serious business with this. Um, I did cater to this group uh, at, at one point. Um, I, had a, I had a really unusual business model where I would charge a retainer. Um, I would do work for flippers actually doing analysis on properties in the MLS to try to identify um, the non-obvious fix and flip deals. Um, but then I would charge them hourly toward that. When they eventually bought a property, they would... Um, buy the property, I'd earn a commission, I would then credit back to them the amount they already paid me in retainer. So it wasn't like I was charging more than a normal commission would be on a property. I would do the, you know, what a, a typically negotiated commission in your marketplace would be, but then I would charge them very differently because there's a there, there can be a tendency for this group to want to work with you know, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 different real estate agents. And, you know, I'll, I'll do a deal with you if you bring me the deal. And that was not my business model because there was a lot of work and effort that went in upfront to identifying fix and flips and kind of catering to them and so solving a lot of the problems that they had. So I do think there are opportunities and niches to do this. Oh, I'll, I'll close out that loop about the business model where I was catering to these fix and flip guys and charging the retainer. What I ultimately decided was um, I could do more business by not doing that model. I could, I could actually earn more by focusing in not on fix and flip guys, but by focusing in on long-term buy and hold nomads, especially uh, people doing the marketplace. And so I ultimately decided to end that particular business model itself and not cater to them. Um, when I first did it, my thought was, you know, you get whatever it is, 10 fix and flip guys and you have them buy I don't know, you know, five properties a year or something like that. You know, like I, th I think my goal at the time was probably 50 transactions a year is, is kind of where I was at. But my thought was, you know, you go find, you know, 10 of these guys and each of them does, you know, five or so a year. I think that was sort of my balance. You know, some of them wanted to do more than that. Some of them wanted to do a little bit less, but that was the thinking is kind of like visualizing what the business would look like. And then I was like, okay, so what can I offer? What things can I do to add value to fix and flippers? Like, how can I go above and beyond uh, to set myself apart in the, in the market to do that. And one of the things to do was to really dive deep into the MLS and do a whole bunch of analytics and stuff. There, there is software out there today that allows, that does a lot of the analysis I was doing. I, I had some, you know, maybe a few extra little things that they're not specifically doing, but there's commercial software you can actually pay a monthly fee to. I don't know how much it is, hundred bucks a month, maybe 200 bucks a month in order to go. And it will identify a whole bunch of potential fix and flips and allow you to analyze them and help you do like quick comps and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I, maybe I will do a class on this in the future, or maybe I won't, but I had created almost like what I used to call the or score or is my last name. And so I, uh, I would, I would do like things where if a property was, I don't know, like significantly below the median price in their neighborhood of X number of homes, then it would get a five, uh, five points. If it was you know, a little bit less of the discount, then it would get three points and one point if it's just small discount. And then if it's actually a premium above everything else to get one point, but I had all these different attributes. If it was a REO, then it got more points. If it was, you know, um, 
you know, property that was older, it got more points. So there was like this range of things that gave it values. And then I could sort the entire MLS by this kind of or score to give me more things would be more likely to be deals when we look at them using all of these different views into the MLS to do that. Man, I'm way off on a tangent. So hopefully I'll get back on track here. Hopefully it'd be helpful for you. Um, the other thing, fi- fix developers, many of them are ultimately they want to be buy and hold real estate investors. They don't want to be in the fix and flip business forever. And this usually happens after they've done their first couple of fix and flips. Um, and they realize, well, there's a lot of work and a lot of effort to do stuff. And, uh, you know, they still feel like they want to do it because they feel like they need a way to build up a down payment in order to be able to go acquire rental properties. And this seems like a strategy that they could do where they can get these big lumps of uh, cash to coming into their business and they could do it. Um, one of the interesting things for those of us that are wanting to serve real estate investors is you can teach classes to cater to fix and flippers, you know, do some analysis of, you know, here's what our market looks like for fix and flips. Here's, you know, what the, the last year or six months worth of fix and flips looks like in our marketplace. Here's, um, you know, print out the MLS sheets of the before and after for the flip and walk through and do some analysis with them and help them understand, you know, hard money loans and, you know, like different ways to get contractors and some of the paperwork and tools, you know, all the stuff that we want to cater to with fix and flippers, you do classes on that. But then also once they come in and they're attracted to you from doing that, you can also, in addition, teach them alternative ways to build up down payments and acquire rentals instead of doing fix and flips. So you could explain to them, Hey, look, you don't, you don't have to, always acquire rentals by putting 20% down or 25% down, we could show you how to do this nomad strategy where you should be doing this in parallel. If you want to do fixed flips, that's cool. And I'm happy to help you in any way I can doing that. But in addition to that, let me show you about this nomad strategy and we can go help you acquire properties and do rentals that way. And it is a really good parallel path to doing the fix and flips. Fix and flips will help you with the down payments for the 5% down nomad stuff or whatever you're doing or help them with down payments. So the idea though is, um, fix and flip guys are pretty good in that way. So let's, let's go over some pros and cons of fix and flippers because they're not, everything's not amazing about this group. I, I will say that there's another way of saying it is there is a wide range of different types of people that want to do fix and flips. And some are on a range where they don't always make the best long-term real estate investing clients for my business as I wanted it, maybe they fit into your business a lot better, but I'll talk to you about like how I see some of the negatives there um, and how I see a lot of the positives. So I think there's a lot more positives than negatives, which is why at one point I catered to them, but there's also a reason why I stopped catering specifically to them and really expanded my focus and stopped doing the, the retainer model and stuff like that. So big pro of doing working with fix and flippers is the frequency of purchases and sales. Um, unlike traditional owner-occupant people that buy a property every 10 years or so. That's the latest stats from NAR. Um, Or even nomads who buy a property every year or maybe two years, depending on who it is and how quickly they can save up their down payments. Uh, Flippers, some of them are buying, you know, 10 properties plus a year um, in some markets. And, you know, around where I live, it was probably, you know, some of the top flippers were probably doing, I don't know, five plus maybe a year. Not like crazy, crazy numbers, but also not, uh, you know, really unusual numbers. I don't know how else to describe that, but that was the thinking. So, you know, if they're doing, you know, five a year, 
I think that was probably a pretty good fix and flipper around here. But, you know, five a year, that's, you know, a client that's worth a lot of money. I mean, that's a, a client that you should do a great job and serve them and add a lot of value wherever you can, because you can help them. And, you know, that's a, that's a big part of your revenue, um, which, you know, I didn't add this as a con, but I probably should add it as a con. Um, there's this, uh, the con is it could be a concentration risk where you have, you know, um, a lot of your revenue tied up in one particular client. You know, you have you know, 20% of your revenue in one client who's doing a bunch of fix and flips. If you lose that client for whatever reason, they stop doing it. They become disenchanted with you. They decide to work with another agent who's going to give them a better deal or whatever it is, then you could lose a pretty significant part of your revenue. If you have a, a more traditional like nomad model where you've got, you know, 50 people on the nomad plan, then, you know, one client goes, that's 2% of your revenue, not 20%. So uh, the concentration risk is real. Uh, pros and cons flippers, they're well-defined information and content they seek. So we went over some of the class ideas. There probably is a whole set of class ideas specific to flippers that you can define all the things that I kind of mentioned earlier, plus a whole bunch of other things that you could do. Um, once you start talking to them, the questions that come up, just write them down because they're, they're, they're the same questions you get over and over again. Um, the, the other pro of working with flippers is you could possibly get two commissions. So one when they buy the property and one on the sale of the property once it's been fixed up and they're trying to sell it. Some of the flippers will ultimately get their real estate license to try to you know, maximize their money. Some of them won't, um, but a lot of them will. And I've also found that some of the flippers, they still want you to do it, even if they do have their own real estate license. The real estate license almost becomes a convenience for seeing properties, but they don't want to do that work and they will allow you to list the property on both sides. I've definitely had that happen before where uh, people with licenses, real estate agents uh, with licenses would hire me as a real estate agent to do both the acquisition and the sales side of things as well. Um, especially when I was doing that kind of like really optimal thing for the flippers there. Uh, one of the downsides is uh, some investors will want to negotiate your fees. They will say, you know, I'll pay you this amount on the purchase, but you know, you're going to list it for half or whatever your normal rate is or something like that. So realize that uh, they, they tend to want to negotiate your fees much less so than more traditional nomad house hackers, uh, traditional buy and hold guys that are buying at a much lower frequency. Um, you see it a lot more in flippers and, you know, they're doing a lot more transactions. I don't think it's unreasonable for them to have that stance, which I think is, uh, is part of the reason why we see it more frequently. Um, so another pro of doing flippers is there's software that you could purchase that would allow you to find these opportunities. I forget the name of the software. I probably should know that. Um, but there's software that allows you to identify fix and flip opportunities. And honestly, you can go look in the uh, public record. You can go ask your title company for a list of uh, all the flip transactions, you know, transactions that were bought and sold uh, twice in the last 12 months. And a lot of title companies will pull that for you. I wrote software to do it myself. And then I would actually do some analysis where I print out the before MLS sheet, the after MLS sheet, I'd staple them together. I'd bring them to a class. And then we would work through case studies together where I'd, you know, I'd bring, if we had 30 people in the class, I'd have 30 different uh, fix and flip pairs. And we would talk about them. We'd ask questions, be like, okay, you know, um, how many people have a property where, and I'd show them where it is in the sheet, where it was on the market for more than 60 days before it was purchased. And we'd talk about, you know, speed and, you know, how many people bought a property where they bought it at a discount. Okay. And then we walk, go around the room. How big was your discount? What was it listed for? What did it sell for? And then we'd walk through and people could see these case studies of what actual transactions were in the marketplace. Um, 
So you could do those. Um, your, your title company could then help you identify certain neighborhoods tend to have a lot of fix and flip turnover. They're, uh, you know, they're being improved. And so you find neighborhoods where, you know, there's been 14 fix and flips out of a neighborhood of 200 in the last year. And that's a lot for that neighborhood. And so you should go and look into maybe farming that neighborhood or doing direct mail in order to identify fix and flip opportunities. These are like extra services you could offer. <laughs> Excuse me. Let me take a drink and pause my thing. Sorry about that. I had a little tickle in my throat. So you could use the public record data in order to identify these. And then once you find the public record data, you could also find who the hard money lenders are that are doing that. And you can identify who the active flippers are. You know, people that have actively done a flip, you can get a list, pull up all the, the guys that did the initial purchase, put them on a mailing list. They're relatively easy to find. So that's another probably advantage is, is they're, uh, they're probably easy to find. Look at this, making classes as we go, easy to find. Um, so a little meta here. Um, when you are teaching classes to real estate investors, if something does come up, um, you can either record your class and then before you teach it the next time, be sure to listen to your old recording and update your PowerPoint presentation to bring in any ideas or counter arguments or kind of discussions you had into the class to do that. Or in some places, if it's really easy, like right here, um, I will a lot of times just uh, pause the, not pause the recording, but like stop teaching for a moment update the slide so that it's there for next time. So for example, easy to find, just got added to this presentation. That's a little meta for when you're teaching your own classes. Um, look at public records to find the hotspots. We talked about that. Also identify the actual fix and flip investors yourself. So they're not hard to find. Really, the big issue is going to be finding guys that perform consistently um, that will have reasonable expectations for deals and not already have a lot of pre-existing relationships with you know, 10 other agents that are all feeding them deals as well. Um, it's, it's hard to come into the party. You will get good over time and you may have to accept you know, relatively newer investors who are still building up their business, but eventually you know, even some of the more experienced ones will come around and want to work with you. That's been my personal experience. Um, so they also may be clients for other types of deals. That is also something that, uh, that can kind of come up when we, um, when we have fix and flippers. They want to you know, buy their owner, owner-occupant property with you or they want to buy you know, their friends or family, say, hey, you know, you're in the business. Who are you using for real estate? Who do you recommend? You get referrals and stuff like that. And they may be clients for nomading and other stuff. Um, the other interesting thing that comes up from flippers, which I don't think a lot of other people talk about, is if your flipper is very active in doing some mailings in order to try to find deals on their own. Because some flippers are like, hey, look, I'm not getting enough deals from inside the MLS or the agents that I'm working with are not bringing me the deals because I'm, you know, I'm number four on their list and there are three guys ahead of me that are taking everything. Um, they may start doing direct mail marketing or you know, um, you know, Google AdWords type marketing in order to find deals, you know, like SEO type stuff or uh, you know, direct mail or door to door or whatever they're doing in order to identify other deals. And they go out there and they talk to the seller and they say, hey, look, you know, the seller definitely wants to sell. But they're like, hey, they can't come to terms on the price because the price they need to get is too low for what the seller thinks they can get for the property. And a lot of times those would be great listing opportunities for you because you don't have to lowball the seller. You could say, look, you know, this is what I really think it would sell for um, in our current marketplace. And the investor, your fix and flip guy who's doing the marketing has first crack at them trying to get the buy the property from the seller. If they can't come to terms, 
you, he basically says, Hey, look, you know, I've talked to this guy. Um, uh, you know, he's unwilling to sell to me. Maybe you could help him list this property. He needs to get closer to retail. And then you could come in and actually help sell that property or do some type of, you know, JV, if it makes sense where, you know, you're doing a partnership flip, um, go see the other class on that. If you want information on how to do this, but that's a, another way to do it. And they, they could be a really good source of leads. And so, you know, somebody who was doing that for me, might be really, really valuable in other ways. You know, like I might be willing to help them with comps on, on properties that I'm not even involved with, you know, like you know, being able to pull up some comparable sales and help them determine value because they're providing the marketing service of, of generating leads for listings when you're doing that. So I don't know, it's, it's a very symbiotic relationship when you find those things and, and maybe you teach them how to go do the direct mail and tips on how to improve their mailings. I mean, that might be a class you're doing if you're catering to your fix and flip guys where you can help them with that. Um, so those are the primary pros that I thought of, you know, kind of spending, you know, 10 minutes just dumping out a list of the pros I thought of doing it. Some of the cons though, they do like to negotiate commission that we've talked about that one already. They do often want to buy deeply discounted properties and some of them, not all of them, but some of them may insist on low ball, unreasonable offers with very low acceptance rate. They'll go read a book by, you know, one of these real estate investing gurus and the guru will say, you know, you're, what you really want is you want to find an agent who's going to write a hundred offers at, uh, you know, 70% of value or 70% of list price. Um, it'll go in there and they'll just want you to write, sight unseen offers on a property that are like lowball offers. And they expect you to do a ridiculous amount of labor with a ridiculous amount of acceptance rate on doing this. And uh, I will tell you, it could definitely impact your, um, your reputation in the marketplace as a real estate agent. So be super careful if you decide that that is something you're willing to do. Um, it was not something I would be willing to do. Basically the first, first offer that they made where it was like, just completely out of bounds, like, uh, you know, because you, you get a feel for like what gets accepted and somebody's making these offers that are just really, really low. Um, you know, I probably would honor the offer because I've, I've kind of worked with them to that point, but then I would probably not work with them anymore on any future offers. That's my personal take on it. Um, I, I, I mean, I know my clients were getting offers accepted, so it wasn't like I was being unreasonable. I just, uh, I did not want my reputation ruined. And I know for a fact later on that, um, clients have gotten offers accepted because of our reputation to close and to be reasonable with stuff. So I know, I know that having a good reputation can make the difference in you getting offers accepted, especially when you're really close. Another con, maybe your market may or may not have an abundance of these. So if you're in a market where it's like, there's a shortage of them, it's really, really hard to do, then maybe you don't do that. And then the last one we added was this concentration risk where when you have a fewer number of clients doing more transactions, it could be more impactful if a client stops working with you. Um, on the other hand, it could be helpful if you only need one client to add you know, $100,000 in revenue to your bottom line as a real estate broker in a year. Um, that's good on the, on the um, like early uptake side, but not so good when you lose clients, uh, which I think is inevitable. I don't, I don't think you could expect to hold on to every single client um, I know we've done great jobs with clients and they've ended up going on and getting their own real estate license. And, you know, how do you prevent that? You're not going to like prevent it from doing that. Um, or sometimes they'll get a deal falling in their lap from something else. And it's not your fault. It's not like you did bad. It's just, uh, you know, it just happens to be how the, the business works. So, okay. So that's all I got for you. Hopefully uh, it's a little longer class and probably a little more of a rambling class kind of stream of consciousness and anything else, but I hope you enjoyed it. And um, you know, maybe consider working with flippers. Um, 
I do think there's a, a piece of your business that probably should be focusing on this. But for some of you, having more than a handful of them in your portfolio is probably going to be more than you need. Um, so just realize that you can focus in, go really deep on them. I did for a little while, but I ultimately decided personally that it wasn't a good fit and I could do better um, for me personally, financially, if I opened it up into different things. But hopefully that helps. This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now.